This episode was originally going to be about Spider-Man. You see, my oldest recently beat the second Spider-Man video game, and I thought it would be interesting to dive into the Spider-Man character and its history. But then I thought, what a disservice it would be to Marvel Comics to just skip over its story and straight into one of their characters. So, sorry Spider-Man fans. You'll have to wait until another episode down the road to hear all about your favorite wall-climbing bug guy. Today, we're going to learn a little bit about Marvel Comics. And I say a little because there are a lot of details that go into the this, this story and the history of Marvel Comics. You know, there's like buyouts, acquisitions, there's a lot of stuff like that that I'm just not going to go into. So this is more of a general overview of Marvel Comics. In 1939... A man named Martin Goodman founded a company called Timely Comics that specialized in pulp magazines. A pulp magazine was an inexpensive fiction magazine that was published around, uh, you know, between 1896 and the late 1950s. And the term pulp actually comes from the cheap wood pulp paper on which these magazines were printed on. Anyway, back to Martin. At that time, he held the titles of editor, managing editor, and business manager, along with his brother, Abraham Goodman, who was officially the publisher. On August 31st, 1939, Marvel Comics No. 1 was published, featuring Carl Burgos' android superhero, The Human Torch. This isn't the same Human Torch you all probably know from Marvel. This was also the first appearance of Bill Everett's anti-hero or villain, Namer the Submariner. The first run and second run on the following month sold for a combined 900,000 copies. In March of 1941, we saw Joe Simon and Jack Kirby's first patriotically themed hero. Can you guess? A patriot? If you guess Captain America, you're right. That too proved to be a great success with almost a million sales. Now back in 1939, Goodman hired his wife's 16-year-old cousin, Stanley Lever, as a general office assistant. When editor Joe Simon left in late 1941, Goodman made Stanley Lever as an interim editor of the comics line. Can you guess who this guy was? Here's a hint. His pseudonym is in his first name. Stanley. Stan Lee. Okay, you get it now. So, Timely Comics had different shell companies in which it would publish his comic books, and one of these shell companies was named Marvel Comics. Goodman officially adopted the name in 1961. There were some bumpy times in the market after the war, as superheroes kind of fell out of fashion as publishers expanded into different genres like horror, westerns, humor, crime, and war comics. In 1957, Goodman was forced to turn to independent news, which was the distribution of its biggest rival, National Comics, a.k.a. DC Comics. They went from churning out 40 to 60 books a month to only 12 because it's all that independent news distributors would accept from them. In 1961, Marvel showcased its first superhero team, the Fantastic Four, 
which also broke the mold from other comic book archetypes of that time because of their arguing and holding grudges against one another. As a result, Marvel developed a reputation of focusing on characterization and adult issues even more than most of the superhero comics that came before, something the new generation of older readers loved. This was also what made Spider-Man, Marvel's most successful book, more appealing because he dealt with everyday problems like self-doubt, something a lot of readers could relate to. In the Fantastic Four, we saw The Thing, which would be considered a monster, much like the Hulk, become a hero. This different approach proved to be a great success for them. In contrast, in the DC Comics world, Superman rarely crossed national borders or got involved in political issues. There was no communism in the DC world, and from 1962 and 1965, there were many communists in Marvel comics, including Ant-Man being attacked by them, and even the Viet Cong guerrillas attacking Iron Man. This was a hit with older readers, including college-age adults. And in 1965, Spider-Man and the Hulk were both featured in Esquire magazine's list of 28 college campus heroes, alongside John F. Kennedy and Bob Dylan. DC Comics became old music and Marvel was the Beatles. What also helped was Marvel existed in real-world cities like New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago, while DC existed in fictional cities like Metropolis and Gotham. Marvel hit home and was more relatable. Needless to say, Marvel became one of the biggest and brightest comic book companies for a long time following. I mean, they have Iron Man, Wolverine, Deadpool, the X-Men, some of the greats. And then, on December 31st of 2009, the Walt Disney Company bought them out. And well, we all know the slow demise that has slowly followed. But let's not take away from the greatness it was and where it came from. There are a lot more details to the story, but it would take me several episodes to get through all of it. I know my world would be a little more boring without Marvel's contribution to the entertainment world. I know you guys are all waiting for the fun facts, right? Here's a view that I found very interesting. Spider-Man was originally rejected by Marvel's editor Martin Goodman. Thankfully, it became what it is now. The Hulk was originally supposed to be gray. Actually ended up being green due to printing problems. How crazy is that? Can you imagine a gray Hulk? In the early 1990s, Michael Jackson tried to buy Marvel Comics just so he could play Spider-Man in his own produced movie. Marvel's Deadpool, Wade Wilson, was originally created as a spoof of DC's Deathstroke named Slade Wilson. Here's one more. The idea of Venom was actually conceived by a Marvel Comics reader named Randy Schuler. Marvel purchased the idea for 220 after they sent Schuler a letter acknowledging Marvel's desire to acquire it from him. $220 for the idea of Venom. Think about how much money they've made off of that idea. Mm -hmm.